opportunity of opening God's word. Uh, it's always a joy to come to new beginnings. I, I, I love the book of Psalms, and I want to talk to you just a little bit about the Psalms this morning, and one in particular. I, I love there's a, the honesty of the psalmists as they reflect on their lives, because for us, life is a little bit like a roller coaster with lots of ups and downs, and some of those ups are pretty steep, and some of the downs are pretty scary. And yet the psalmists uh, experience, as we do, the same ups and downs, but they articulate their frustrations in perhaps ways that we wouldn't dare. I, I don't know if you've looked at Psalm 13 verse 1, which says, um, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you, will you hide your face from me? And that's, uh, I, I, I don't know if you've ever felt like that, that God has been hiding his face from you. I don't know if you've ever wondered about, well, how long have I got to wait until God answers my prayer? I think most of us have felt like that but we probably wouldn't feel too comfortable in articulating that. And yet at least 22 times in the Psalms, the psalmist sh shouts out, how long? God, how's your memory, God? You seem to have forgotten me. Uh, uh, what, what about Psalm 44, verse 23? Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. And we know that it says in Psalm 121 that he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. But there are times when we just wonder, is, is God awake? Is he aware? Does he know what's going on? We read in Chronicles that the eye of the Lord runs to and fro throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fixed on him. And yet there are days when we are tempted to wonder, is God asleep? And what about the next verse, Psalm 24? Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? And there have been many times, I'm sure, when you've asked, uh, in your heart at least, why God? Why God? Why is it like this? Why doesn't it work out the way I hoped it would work out? Why? Uh, and these are questions that are asked honestly. Well, we're going to look at Psalm 100 this morning. It's a beautiful psalm. There are only just five verses in the psalm, and it's the only psalm in the whole of the book of Psalms that is specifically identified as a psalm for giving thanks. So that makes it a little bit uh, unusual. It kind of stands out, a psalm for giving thanks. It's uh, a psalm that has been sung uh, and much loved by generations of believers down through the centuries, and I'm sure that you will have sung it. You know the words, all people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice, uh, serve him with joy, his praises forth tell, or his praises tell, come now before him and rejoice. Well, that, those words were, were penned way back in 1561, and they were based on this psalm, Psalm 100. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said, nothing can be more sublime this side of heaven than the singing of this noble psalm by a vast congregation. There's a thought, isn't it? Nothing can be uh, more uh, sublime uh, 
this side of heaven um, than the singing of this noble psalm by a vast congregation. What a wonderful thought that is. Well, a, a man called Vincent de Paul said, um, we should spend as much time in thanking God for his benefits as we do in asking him for them. I find that kind of challenging because the truth is that if you're like me, you probably will have spent more time asking God for stuff than you have thanking him for all his kindness. So that comes as a little bit of a challenge. So let's just turn to the psalm and look at it together. Let's read it. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Well, what a wonderful little psalm that is. Now, you will have heard it said that there are gems that are buried, embedded in the scriptures. And sometimes they're near to the surface, wedged between the lines. And we've got to dig down a little bit to discover what those gems are. And so this morning, I thought that what we would do is we would dig a little bit into this psalm just to see if, as we unpack it, we can find any gems that would be helpful to us. Well, the first thing I notice uh, is that there are some instructions in this psalm, some instructions. Let's look at them. First of all, there's shout. That's an instruction. And then there's worship, another instruction. And then another instruction, come before him with joyful songs. Another one, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us that we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And there's another one, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So we have seven instructions there. Isn't that interesting? Well, an instruction is, is, is something that we're supposed to do, isn't that right? So here we have these instructions and there are seven of them. But we also find that there's two explanations of why these instructions are important. The first one, know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us, and we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So that's the first explanation as to why we should give thanks. And then there's another one, and it's for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever, his faithfulness continues through all generations. So that's the second instruction, or the second explanation as to why we should give thanks. Thanks. So let's just look at these instructions uh, quite briefly and, and we'll see what we can learn from them. Well, helpfully, the psalmist uh, tells us how to give thanks. The psalm divides very neatly into three parts and he tells us, first of all, how to give thanks. Now, I guess if you're like me, that at some stage in your life, you've been given a gift, maybe a birthday gift or a Christmas gift from an elderly relative. And while their heart was full of love and kindness in giving the gift, 
maybe the gift was more suitable for somebody a few years younger. And it's not maybe been the most appropriate of gifts. And when that happens, and it's happened to me, then you maybe struggle a little bit with knowing how do I uh, best show my appreciation. Don't want to tell lies and say it's absolutely wonderful. It really isn't. But how do I best express my appreciation? Well, if it's difficult for us to express appreciation to in a situation like that, how much more difficult is it to show appreciation to God? Well, thankfully, the psalmist tells us how to give thanks to God. He says, first of all, that's the first instruction, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Well, does that mean that the psalmist is telling us to shout in church. Is, is, this, is this a kind of a cranking up the volume? Is that what the psalmist is saying? Well, interestingly enough, the word, the Hebrew words mean, mean the Hebrew word means a glad shout with the emphasis being on the word glad. And the idea of joy appears actually three times in the first two verses. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful songs. So there is joy and gladness wrapped up in, in this uh, instruction to, to shout. We are to praise God because we are thrilled with God. All we know about God stirs our hearts to want to shout out his praise. So that's the first instruction we receive. And then the next instruction is we worship the Lord with gladness. And the word worship there means to serve. So serve the Lord with gladness. We're probably better at serving ourselves, but we are to serve the Lord and not grudgingly, but with gladness. So shouting should lean, lead to serving. And we serve God by our worship. L look at verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. So we, we serve God by our worship. But is that the only way in which we serve God? Well, I think that there is stuff for us to learn. Do you remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 when he talked about the judgment, when the goats and the sheep would be separated? Do you, do you remember that passage? And do you remember what Jesus said to those who are described as the righteous? Then the king will say to those on his right, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? 
Then the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So we can thank God, not only by worshiping with our voices and shouting, but by serving him. And we serve him by serving others. That's what this passage in Matthew is telling us. Uh, we, we can thank God by meeting the needs of others, by welcoming strangers. Do you know, I think it's just so easy to be lonely in church. Maybe not in just a small church, but in a larger church, it's so easy to be lonely. I remember one Sunday evening in Finley many years ago, I happened to spot a Chinese girl sitting in a pew all on her own after an evening service, and she was in floods of tears. So I got my wife and said, Anne, would you go and speak to that girl? So Anne went, and it just transpired that she was a PhD student in Glasgow and she didn't know anybody. So very quickly we got her plugged into a small group of mainly students and they just loved her. And, and her whole experience was turned around. Maybe that's why God says in Psalm 68 verse 6, God sets the lonely in families. And why does he set the lonely in families? Because he wants his family to include the lonely. So when we include the lonely, speak to that person to whom nobody else is speaking, we're showing kindness. And remember, he, God has said, what you do for the least of these, my brothers, you do for me. So when we see somebody who's maybe needing some clothes and we help by passing on some clothes or when we care for the sick, we make a telephone call to inquire how somebody in the church family is doing and we, 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 we pray for them. Or when we uh, support prison ministry, we can't all go to visit Berlini, but when we support those who are involved in prison ministry, we're showing kindness. These are practical ways of serving. How to give thanks by, by, by shouting and, and by serving. But then he goes on and he gives us the next instruction. He tells us in verse 2 to come before him with joyful songs. And I, I think that's what we're doing this morning. I think it refers to formal worship when we meet together as a church family. And I think we're, we, we're, we're feeling a sense of loss in our hearts that we're not able to meet together physically. We're so grateful for the technology that allows us to do what we're doing this morning. But, oh my, there's just something so special about being together. I think that this refers to kind of a formal worship that we uh, enjoy Sunday by Sunday. So that's how we give thanks. But then the psalmist goes on to tell us why we should give thanks. He says, know that the Lord is God, is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And that word know is a really important word. It means to know by experience. Some versions render that word acknowledge, acknowledge. So there's knowledge wrapped up in here to, to know by experience. You see, our thanksgiving must be intelligent. We must know whom we are thanking and why we are thanking God. We must be very different from those Greeks who worshipped at the altar of the unknown God. 
If we are to worship God and to give thanks to God, we have to know him. We have to know him and we have to know why we are thanking him. Now look again at verse three and ask, what is it that we should know about God? Well, the text tells us, we know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. So we worship him for making us. And it says we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So we worship him because he made us and because we belong to him, we're his. And there's a lovely reference to the sheep of his pasture, which we'll come to in just a moment. So he made us, we worship him because he made us. We, we didn't get here by ourselves. It was God who made us. It was God who determined how tall we were going to be. I, I'd like to be a little bit taller. But it was God who decided how tall we would be. It, it was he who decided what color our eyes would be. He did, it was he who determined whether our hair would be curly or straight, and whether we would keep it or lose it. It was he who determined our hair color. I know that sometimes ladies are, are, are just not happy, so they like to change it a little bit. But God was involved in, in creating us and, and making us as we are. And then we belong to him because he made us. We belong to him because he sent his son Jesus to rescue us, to do for us what we could not do for our Selves. How wonderful that is. We know him as our savior. And then there's that wonderful reference. We are his, we are the sheep of his pasture. And that takes us straight to John 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And we have reason to be thankful to God. Now, if God has made us and God has redeemed us, then we are his to do with as he chooses. Now, sometimes God allows blessings to come our way. And sometimes he fills us with joy, and that's wonderful. At other times, we face struggles and sufferings. And at those times, we're tempted to look for explanations. Do you remember when Jesus encouraged the disciples to get into the boat and to sail, but he stayed on the shore. The text doesn't tell us, but I wonder, did he actually give the boat a shove to get them to go off? They rowed out and he went up the mountain to pray and they rowed straight into a storm. And I guess they were thinking as they were in the middle of the storm, does, does God know what's happening to us? Why, why, why are we going through these difficulties? This is awful. And yet, in the middle of the night, Jesus came to them. Mark tells us, Mark's gospel, that he made us though to pass them by. Why did he do that? He, if he wanted to go to them, he would have gone to them. If he wanted to avoid them, he would avoided, have avoided them. But he made us though to pass them by. And I think he did that because he wanted them to express their need of him. And we know what happened, don't we? Um, Peter says, Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you. So Jesus said, come. So 
Peter hangs onto the edge of the boat and he gets out and he puts his foot on the water. And lo and behold, he finds that his, the water is white barely. And he climbs out of the boat and he walks towards Jesus. And then he suddenly becomes aware that the wind is, is pretty strong and it's whipping his robes and the waves are kind of high. And maybe he's, 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 he's feeling a little bit seasick going up and down on those waves. And he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. Well, he learned lessons in those circumstances that he could never have learned anywhere else. But before he learned the lessons, he must have been wondering why. And, and I think that we are often tempted to look for explanations. And like the psalmists, we might not say why, but we wonder why. We don't maybe articulate it. Why, oh God, has this happened? Why have I lost my job? Why has this illness hit my family? Why is that relation fractured? Why have we got these struggles? We know, don't we, what it's like to ask why. But we learn to live holding onto his promises because we live by his promises and not by explanations. And we also know that regardless of what comes our way, we are his. For he has said to us through Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We are the sheep of his pasture. So he tells us, the psalmist tells us how to give thanks and why we must give thanks. And then he invites us to praise and thank God. Look at Verse four there, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. Well, we see several clear instructions there. We're to enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise and give thanks to him and to praise his name. Well, I think the emphasis here is on God's people gathering together to thank and praise him. Now, there's something special, isn't there, about Christians coming together to praise and thanks and thank God. Now, I, I know that because of this pandemic and the fact that we're not able to be together in churches, some people on Sunday mornings will uh, go onto the internet and listen to their favorite preacher. We know that consumerism has long been a problem in churches, but I think it's becoming more of a problem because people are now uh, choosing to listen to their favorite preachers and they'll do so with a cup of coffee, nothing wrong with that. Some of them will do it in their pajamas and some of them, if they don't like the message, will switch off halfway through. And I think that the ties that bind us to our, to our local church have become a little bit elastic. And I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a good thing. The Bible knows nothing of what I might call lone ranger Christians. That's something to really think about. Now, I think the psalm encourages us to invite others to join in in thanking God. For verse one says, shout for joy to the Lord. Who? All the earth, not just some of the earth, but all the earth. This is an invitation to all people. 
but perhaps we're just a little bit reluctant to invite others to praise and thanks God, especially in the midst of a pandemic which we can't explain. And yet, I have a strategy for dealing with things that I don't understand and can't explain. You see, when I'm confused, the temptation is to focus on my confusion. And if I focus on my confusion, I start to believe my doubts, and that leads me to doubt my beliefs, and then I get more confused. So my strategy when I'm confused is not to focus on my confusion, but to focus on the things that I know. And what do I know? Well, I know that God is sovereign. I know that God sits on his throne. I know that God rules, and I know that God overrules, and I know that God is working his purposes out even in the midst of these circumstances that I don't understand. Not very long ago, my wife was walking just um, either to or from uh, the main street, and uh, one of our near neighbors, we don't know his name, but he's very friendly, and uh, she, he, he stopped and said, how are you, and how is Michael? And uh, she she said oh, he's he's well and she said and where is he and he, she said oh he's in his study preparing and he said oh because he knows that that I, I was a pastor and he he said oh I thought he'd retired and Anne explained that he he that that I have the privilege of of preaching a little bit here and there and this man looked at Anne and started to talk about the pandemic and he said to her do you think God is up there in heaven looking down the world and saying to us through this pandemic, look, you're all going in the wrong direction. And what a wonderful conversation Anne, Anne had with him. And I think she started at Genesis and they probably made revelation in about 45 minutes. What a great conversation that was. Well, the truth is that God is working his purposes out. And we are invited to praise him and to give thanks to him. And then the psalmist does what I do in terms of my strategy. He begins to focus on the character of God. And that's a wonderful thing. He says, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And we learn at least three things about God in this verse. The first is this, that God is good. Now, please understand that God is always good. He's not just good some of the time. He's good all of the time. And God isn't given to mood swings. God is perfect. And because he's perfect, he can never get anything better. And he can never be anything less than perfect. He's unchanging. The God we know is a God who is good all of the time. And that's why the message of the gospel is a message of good news. It comes from a God who is good, and the news is good. How wonderful is that? And then secondly, we learn that God's love endures forever. It's everlasting. It's not going to run out. On Tuesday of this week, God's not going to turn around and say to us, do you know something? I've had a leak in my love and I just don't have enough for you anymore. No, his love endures. It endures forever. And then wonderfully, it says his faithfulness continues through all generations. God is faithful. Now, that means 
that he who blessed us yesterday will bless us tomorrow. As our parents found him faithful, so also will our children and so will their children. And if anyone has reason to thank God and to praise him, it's us. Has, has God been good to you in the past? Of course he had. has. That means that God will always be good to you. You never need to worry that he will cease to be good or change his good ways. Has God expect, expressed love to you? Of course he has. Well, then you can be sure that he will always be loving. His very nature is love. You need never worry that he will cease to love you. Has God seen you through difficult times? And I'm sure he has, because very few Christians avoid difficult times altogether. Jesus said, in the world, you will have difficulty. And yet those who have gone through difficulties testify that God has kept them secure. And if God has kept them secure, God will keep us secure to whatever may come. Has anyone ever had greater reason to thank God than we who are his redeemed people who know him not only as our creator but also as our loving shepherd and lord then surely with the psalmist we can shout enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him and praise his name for the lord is good and his love endures forever his faithfulness continues through all generations i don't know about you but that makes my heart sing with thanks to god for his great kindness but it may just be that somebody will watch this at some stage and they it won't resonate with them because maybe they've never met with jesus and they don't know and experience, they've never experienced the love of God touching their lives. Well, there's that little verse, I'm sure I've mentioned it to you before, in Psalm 38, verse 34 and verse 8, and it says, taste and see that the Lord is God. And I'm sure I've told you about the mango before, how I love mangoes. And I, I, I've, I, when I was a, a student, I had a, a month or so uh, preaching in Africa. And to have a mango, it's so different in Africa than the one you get in uh, Tesco's or Sainsbury's. Uh, the mango in Africa, straight from the tree, from the tree, you can only eat it in in, in one of two places. I think in a, in a swimming pool or in a bath, because there is so much juice and it just goes absolutely everywhere. It's very sticky, but it's beautiful. And if you said, "Well, I've never had a mango. What does it taste like?" Do you know I couldn't describe it to you. You might say, "Is it is it like an orange?" I would say, "No, it's different. Is it like a peach or a nectarine? No, it isn't. It's certainly not like a pineapple." The only way to know what a mango is like is to taste it for yourself and it's exactly the same as that with god taste and see that the lord is good how good you will never know unless you taste but for those of us who know him oh we do want to thank him and praise him don't we so let's do that just now thank you so much father for being with us and for giving us the privilege of looking at this wonderful little psalm just five verses, and yet packed full of good stuff for our souls. I do want to pray, Father, that you would touch every heart just now. Bring great encouragement, particularly to those who are discouraged. May we all find our hearts stirred to thank you for all your mercy and all your grace. 
please pour out a special blessing on new beginnings. Encourage them all. Bless them. Make them a blessing to others and a joy to your heart. We ask it, Father, as we thank you. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.